theyeshiva.net. Somebody wrote a comment here. I see there's two comments. So somebody wrote, Good morning. After Monday's class, I am inspired like Avram Avinu to live my days to their fullest. I do my best, but nobody is perfect. What can I tell myself to keep from getting down about having not used every day in the past to its fullest and not giving the soul all the garments which Hashem meant it to have? Can Shuva bring back the missing garments? Wow, that's, that's a really beautiful question. It's, it's, it's a Givaldika question. But I'm going to add to your question. And the following, uh, the following teaching, I had the privilege of hearing from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I think it was 1987 or 1988. He asked a Givaldika question. The Baal Atanya brings here in the first paragraph of the Maimer from Zohar that it says, Avram came with all of his days. As he said in Yiddish, as Gekumen mit Alateg. Not Babayomim, he came in days. Babayomim, he came with all of his days. Babayomim, every day. He, he showed up with all of his days. There was no day, eh, stupid, foolish, a waste of time. I was a couch potato. I was depressed. I was lazy. Babayomim, every day was meaningful. Every day, was lived to the fullest. So we titled the Shir, uh, Seize the Day. Every day was seized. Babayam. We also explained, based on the Zoya, the Balatani said, Babayam means what? He came in his days. He was fully dressed up inside of every day. He was, he was involved in each day. Every day offers a new lavush, a new garment a new experience which the soul needs in order to be able to be what it is and fulfill its mission. So Baba Yamim, every day was utilized fully. So he came inside of every day. He was fully dressed in the garments that every day provides for the human life. So the Rebbe asked the Gavaldik a question. The Rambam teaches us based on the Medrash, that Ben Memches Shonim Hikir Avram is Avram was 48 when he recognized his creator. Another opinion is Ben Arboyim Shonim Hikir is He was 40 years old. Another opinion is Ben Shalash Shonim Hikir Avram is Avram Avinu was three years old when he recognized his creator. That's why it says Akev Ashasham Avram Bekaili. Akev is Kuf Ayin Beis, 172. Why 172? Because Avram Avinu lived 175 years, but the first three years he was steeped in his father's home, which was steeped in idolatry. So he only listens to God's voice 172 years, Akev. Certainly according to the opinion of 40, 48. So for so many years, at least minimum three years, but according to many sources, 40 years, 48 years. Avram Avinu was steeped in idolatry. He was steeped in the erroneous, pagan environment and commitments and convictions, the false convictions of his father, Terach. How could you say Baba Yamim? You could say later in life, he came with all of his days. But 48 years steeped in the falsehood, superficiality, uh, vanity, of, of idolatry, where's the Baba Yomim? Where's the Baba Yomim? This was the Rebbe's question. You hear the question, Chavra? Kavaldika question. You want to hear the Rebbe's answer? The Rebbe said as follows. I'll never forget the answer. The Rebbe said, all those years, Avram Avinu was searching for the truth. And the search for truth is part of the truth. In other words, by definition, when I'm searching for the truth, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to try out this idea and then realize that it failed me. Avram Avinu was searching. He was yearning. He was striving to find the truth. That is part of the truth because you cannot find the truth 
if you do not search for it, and you could not discover it without trial and error. Avram Avinu was one man in the world, Echad Hoya Avram, in a home full of confusion, uncertainty, paganism, idolatry. Obviously, in this search, Avram Avinu would go through different stages and different mistakes and different stumbling blocks and different errors and different failures. Or to quote the Pasuk Mishle, Sheva Yippel Tzadik would come, the righteous person could fall seven times and stand up. But every time he falls is part of his growth because it's an inevitable process. A human being is not an angel. A human being is not created with all of the certainty and perfection and clarity. It's true in each of our lives. Sometimes to get to the place of truth and authenticity, you have to go through a lot of pain and a lot of anguish. I have to shed one layer and then another layer. And then I think, oh, I got it. But then there's another layer to be shed and more self-discovery. And that does not mean that you're a failure. It means that you're on the path to your own perfection because the path to perfection goes through winding and confusing and uncertain roads. Sometimes I have to get lost before I could find my way. And therefore, each one of those days is called Baba Yom and was considered a full day. You know why? Because Avraham Avinu wasn't sitting around surrendering to fear and mediocrity and insecurity and falsehood. Avraham Avinu was on a search he was searching for the truth, and the search is an indispensable and intrinsic part of the truth. And that's to answer, my dear friend, to your question. If you allow your past errors to become a springboard and a catalyst and an education for the future, you redefine your previous days as full and wholesome days. Meaning, a mistake is only a mistake if it remains a mistake. If a mistake provides me with an education and enlightens me and becomes a springboard for new awareness and new growth, then the mistake is retroactively redefined and metamorphosized from a mistake into an extraordinary educational experience. Hever, you understand what I'm saying? I have a friend, I have a close friends. they live in Bat Ayin in Israel. Mayor and Miriam Rhodes. So Mayor was a teacher for many years in an African-American school in Brooklyn. And then, quite a number of years ago, he and his wife made aliyah to Bat Ayin, that's near Efrat, in the Gushe Etzion. And they built a beautiful home there, literally built it. Very, very hospitable people, very special people. So uh, Mayor's wife is Miriam Rhodes. She taught physics. For many, many years, she's a teacher of physics. So she shared with me something very powerful, very meaningful. You know, this is, these are Jews from the United States of America, grew up in secular families, searching, searching for spiritual meaning. So in the 1960s, they were part of the, you know, you would, what you would call the hippie movement, searching, trying to experiment with uh, deeper aspects of life. And in her travels, she ended up in India. And she was in India for a very long time, I think for quite a few years, in which she studied and immersed herself in various practices of Buddhism and Zen Buddhism, including transcendental meditation, and a lot of the rituals that define the life of the authentic Buddhists in the Far East, she spent time in ashrams with everything involved as a as an innocent, deep Jewish soul looking for, for enlightenment, looking for truth, looking for transcendence. In the early 1970s, somebody, a friend of her, schlepped her for Pesach to be by the Rebbe, by the Lubavitcher Rebbe in Brooklyn, in New York. And uh, she was very affected and she was deeply touched and she felt that that this is this is a place of truth. And she decided to remain there and learn they had an institution for, for, for young women who wanted to discover Yiddishkeit. And she remained there and she changed her life. And she told me that she wrote a letter to the Rebbe. And she described in the letter everything she did in India and all of the Buddhist practices everything she was involved in. She wrote a specific, a very detailed letter of everything she was involved in. 
and she was really asking the Rebbe for a way to repair it. And she, as she told me, she said, you're dealing with things that were avodah You're dealing with, with practices that were involved with, uh, wasn't just meditation script from, uh, idol- from idolatry. There was idolatrous rituals over there. And she wrote it all down. She said to me she expected, somebody told her that she'll probably have to get a tikkun to fast for many, many days or weeks or months or years to repair for everything she was involved in. She told me that the Rebbe responded, among other things, he wrote as follows. He says, I'm quoting not verbatim, but just from memory what she told me. He wrote to her, Since by you there was mekuyim the yagaita, so now I'm certain that the second half of the Maimon Chazal will also be Mekuyim, which is Umatsasa. The Gemara says in Meseches Megillah, I think Davov, right? Yogaita v'loy Matsasa al-Tamen. Lo Yogaita Matsasa al-Tamen. Yogaita Matsasa tamen Which means if somebody says, I did not toil, and I found, I discovered, don't believe him. If somebody says, I toiled, and I didn't find, don't believe him. Somebody says, Yogaiti, I toiled, I worked hard, umatsasi, and I discovered tamen belief. So the Rebbe said, since by you we see that the Yagaiti was fulfilled, you searched and you toiled and you worked and you traveled. So now will be Makuyim also, the umatsasa, that you discovered. You understand what happened there? And she told me in one line, he removed four million stones of her heart and allowed her to redeem all of the years when she was steeped in Buddhist ashrams and idolatrous practices in India. That one line, it was redefined from idolatry into a yagaita. A person is searching. Jews who were Tinoikas Shanishbud, the Ramam says in Hilchis Mamrim, and Perik Bey's Jews who were abducted as children, physically or emotionally and simply are searching for the truth, and as a result of that could make many errors. The Rambam says, you have to draw them in with love and affection and compassion and sensitivity. This is Allah in Rambam and Hilchis Mamrim. He speaks about the Karaites, the Bnei HaKroyim, who grew up not knowing better. So it was a Yagaita, you were sincerely searching. So now it's a Matzasa. He saw it all as a prerequisite for the Umatzasa. She said, suddenly... Her life was not anymore one of years and years of loss. No, it was a holistic life. Why? Because all of those years, even if there was so much error involved, was part of the Agaita, which produced the Matsasa. And therefore, the first 48 years of Avramovin are also considered Baba Yamim. I hope I answered your question. The Inyan is, the explanation in all of this is, We say every day, When there is a Minyan, of course, we say, According to Nusach Svart, Or whatever the version is, according to Nusach Ashkenaz, just as we Hashem is sanctified in heaven, He's also sanctified here in the Kaddish Hashem But we say every day, Nakdishach, we shall sanctify you. Now we say it, and uh, we move on as we say. But the Balatanya says, let's stop. Apparently, it's nifla, it's wondrous, and it's deeply enigmatic and strange to say these words on Hashem. He is Kaddish, he is holy, and he's Mekudosh, and he's sanctified on his own. How is it that we have the audacity and the ability to say, Nakdishach v'naritzach, Nekadesh, we're going to sanctify you. We, me, <coughs> you and I, are going to make Hashem holy. If you say, we will proclaim your holiness. We will notify the world about your holiness. I understand. 
But when we say Nakdishach, the words Nakdishach, what does Nakdishach mean? We will be Mekadesh you. We, we will make you holy. Says the Balatanya, who such a wondrous thing that we have the ability to say this about Hashem. Come, let me make you holy. <laughs> I'm going to make you holy. Apparently, he's holy and sanctified himself. What is the meaning of this? Another question. Why do we say three times Kaddish? This number of three. They sanctify you three times. Why three times? Why can't you say once? He's holy once. We got the message. No. Holy, holy, holy. What is the meaning of this? The answer to all of this is that the Torah was given to us through three mediums, three aspects. There are three dynamics through which the Torah was given to the Jewish people. There is machshava, thought, deeper words, and action. There are mitzvahs that are dependent exclusively on deeper, on speech. For example, we all know, Kriya Shema. It's a mitzvah to say Shema. This is a mitzvah that requires deeper, verbal communication. There's a mitzvah like Birchah Samazan. Saying grace after meals, this is a mitzvah of deeper. You have mitzvahs that are dependent exclusively on machshava, on thought, mental state, awareness. For example, the mitzvah of Avas Hashem, the mitzvah of loving Hashem, or Yiris Hashem, the awe of Hashem. These are not verbal mitzvahs or action-oriented mitzvahs. These are mitzvahs connected to a person's inner state, inner thought, inner mindset, inner awareness. And then, of course, there are mitzvahs that are wholly dependent on maisa, action. Words will not do it, and thoughts will not do it. Let's give an example putting on tefillin, eating matzah, eating matzah on Pesach. I could think about the matzah, I can meditate about the matzah, I could be mentally aware of the matzah, I could speak about the matzah, I'm not fulfilling the mitzvah. I have to actually take the physical piece of matzah and consume it physically. (laughs) I have to put it into my mouth and digest it. It has to go down my food pipe and then I could eat. I could fulfill the mitzvah of matzah. Shaking a lulav on sukkahs. I could think about a lulav. I can speak about a lulav. That doesn't have to the mitzvah. lachem. I have to take the lulav and the esrog and the hadas and the arava and actually lift it up and shake the lulav. You have the mitzvah of svirus ha'aymer. is a verbal mitzvah. The mitzvah of tefillah is a verbal mitzvah. You have mitzvahs, of course, that are a combination. For example, the mitzvah of tefillah. The mitzvah of davening is a combination of machshava and dibur. There is the verbal communication of davening, but there is the kavana, which is essential for davening. The Gemara calls and says in Tainis that the primary aspect of tefillah is not dibor. The primary aspect of tefillah is machshava, it's an avayda inside. But generally, Judaism could be divided into these three categories. There's the Judaism that focuses on machshava, Thought. There's the Judaism that focuses on dibur on speech, and there's the Judaism where the focus is ma'isa action. Now here a person can make an error. The revelation of godliness, which is manifested, which is revealed through action, is certainly not similar and not identical to the gilu yalakus, to the revelation of godliness, which is manifested in thought and in speech. Because physical action is so much more concrete and therefore it's more dense, it's more materialistic, it's more, mis'ava means it's more thick, it's more grub, it's more dense. Umizgashem, it's much more concretized and materialized. Gam 
In fact, it may relate also to things that are inanimate. Doima means inanimate, inorganic matter. For example, when a person fulfills the mitzvah of tzedakah, how do you fulfill the mitzvah? You fulfill the mitzvah through the physical coin, which may be made from silver, a silver coin, or maybe a copper coin. So the mitzvah is applying to something that is completely physical and lifeless, which is called doima. So natural, uh, conventional wisdom would tell you that the kedusha, the light that's generated, the godliness that is manifested through mitzvahs associated with speech and certainly with thought is far deeper than the holiness or the godliness that's manifested through mitzvahs connected to action. Why? Because conventional wisdom would be that godliness, ruchnius, edelkeit, comes, comes to the fore much more through spirituality than through physicality. A mental state, meditation, mindfulness, awareness, thinking about something, is a much more personal experience. It's a much deeper experience. There's more spiritual experience. An action, an action could be it's just a, a, it's a technical act. And if it's a technical act, one would think that even if it's important to do, you can't say that this has the same gilia lakus, the same revelation of godliness as the mitzvahs of machshava and dibur. Whatever is more spiritual, whatever is more aloof, it's more transcendent, it's more removed from the physical world, apparently is much more conducive for the revelation of godliness. In other words, one would come to the erroneous conclusion, says the Balatanya, that mitzvahs that are connected to machshava, which is more of a spiritual, internal faculty of the human soul, it's associated with my inner identity and personality and cognition and awareness and growth, captures more of a revelation of godliness than mitzvahs that are connected to very concrete, technical, and lifeless physical realities. That is a possible perception of a human being, which the Balatanya calls a mistake. He says it's, it's, it's a normal error, it's a normal mistake. Here, you can capture God much more. There's more revelation, there's more excitement, there's more hergish, there's more feeling. It's, it's much more associated with feeling. than Misa, which can be very... Uh, very technical, because it's dealing with something physical. As he says, you took a coin. The coin is a doimim, and that's the whole mitzvah. You took a coin and you put it in the pushka, you gave it to somebody. But this is not true. This is not true. Why? The reason is because everything is identical when we're talking about Hashem. Because since Hashem is the ultimate Ein Soif, true infinity, so therefore He is infinitely removed from spirituality as much as He is infinitely transcendent, as much as He infinitely transcends physicality. In other words, to associate Hashem with Ruchnius is the same mistake like associating Hashem with Gashmis. <laughs> Just like if somebody tells you God is this big physical being, you know, this big physical statue. You say, what do you mean? The Rambam says, guv, guv. We say in the Animamans, in the Yigdal, those who say the Piyot of Yigdal, Hashem doesn't have, it's not a corporal reality. You're not going to identify God in physical attributes. That would be erroneous. God is not part of the physical universe. He's the creator of the physical universe. But we will say, okay, God is not physical. He's spiritual. He's not physical. He's spiritual. Says the Balatanya, it's the same mistake. The same error to say that Hashem is physical, the same mistake is to identify Hashem as a spiritual being, as a spiritual reality. Now that's a big chiddush. That's the novelty that he's saying here. That it's not true to identify Hashem by spirit with spirituality. You know why? Because hakol shava. 
There's no difference between Elyonim and Tachtoinim, just as the Tachtoinim, the most physical reality, right? Is in Hashem transcends it infinitely, he's not defined by it. He also transcends infinitely any spiritual reality, what you would call a higher transcendent spiritual reality, is also Kulakamekalaychashev. All relative to his true infinity doesn't occupy real substance, real significance. He's infinitely transcendent, he's infinitely above it. As he puts it, hakal Everything is like ayin, nothing in his presence, because he's the real ein soif, ein arech. So nothing has an erech. Even ruchnius, like we say in uh, the davening of Yom Nairam, hashava umashva, katan v'gadl. Hashava umashva, katan v'gadl means the smallest and the greatest are equal. Smallest and greatest doesn't just mean in size, it means in quality. What you call the lowest and what other call the highest, it's shava umashva. He can't be defined not by this, and not by this, because ein aroich, ein aroich, I love you, is baruch. Nothing, nothing has an aroich. So therefore, when a person says to himself or herself, through a spiritual experience, I can capture God. Through a physical action, how do I capture the divine? It doesn't make sense. There's no inspiration. There's no inner awareness. There's no inter, there's no inner mental experience here. I can understand with my machshava. I can maybe understand with my dibur, but with my maisa, with my action, the physicality, I mean, what we, fine, it's, it's, it's an act. Maybe I have to do it. Maybe it's a good thing, but you can't say it captures the same infinity. Says the Balatanya, you're making a mistake. You don't understand. If you're talking about infinity the way you define it, that's not infinity. So then you could say the spiritual is higher than the physical. What does it mean it's higher? The spiritual challenges me and allows me to look deeper into existence, to see deeper layers of existence, which is awesome. But if you're talking about the real truth of Ein Soiv, the real truth, the truth of infinity, ah, it transcends spirituality with the same infinity that it transcends physicality. And therefore, just like I can't say Hashem is physical, I can equally not say Hashem is spiritual because have no hefrish, absolutely no difference. And therefore, the power of the mitzvah to capture Hashem is because of its, it's His will. Because he willed it. And therefore, if he willed it, so the Ruchnius and the Gashmius are identical. So therefore, the Elokus, the godliness, that can be captured through the body, through mitzvahs connected to the body and physical experiences, is the same Kedusha, the same Elokus, that is manifested in Machshav and Dibur. This is what we say, you know where we say this. Remember where we say this? We say it in Yishtabach. When the Balatanya says, this is what we say, it's good to ask yourself if you know where. Because this is said by everybody every single day in Yishtabach. <laughs> but I assume when he says, Vakadosh B'Shamayim Baruch, not many people remember where we say it. So it's good to know this, that it's important when you say words every day to try and take a pause and re- re- reflect on the words. Machshava, Dibur. We say in the Yishtabach blessing before Baruch Yishtabach Shem Chalad Malkeinu Hakel HaMelech HaGadol V'Hakadosh B'Shamayim Obaretz What does it mean HaKadosh B'Shamayim Obaretz? Literally it means He is holy in heaven and holy in earth What does that mean? He's HaKadosh B'Shamayim Obaretz You would think he's holy only in heaven He's not holy on earth Or he's holy on earth He's not holy in heaven Says the Balatanya, Kiloimar, Shepchines Shamayim, Abchines Eretz Shavetz, like Kihikadosh Mavdomah. Hakadosh Bashamayim Baritz means that heaven and earth are identical in his presence. You know why? Because he's Kadosh, because he's infinitely transcendent, and therefore, because he is the real Ein Soif, so he can't be defined by heaven any more than he could be defined by earth, just like he can't be defined by earth any more than he could be defined by heaven. Heaven and earth are equally distant and therefore equally close. Because he's real Kaddish, Kedusha, Rashi says, is, is, is Havdalah, transcendent, above, sublime. He's infinitely remote from heaven just as he's remote from earth. He's the real Ain. So if you can't define him by Ruchnius, any more than you can define him by Gashmius, just like you're not going to say God has big muscles. He's so powerful, he has these huge muscles. 
And therefore, you don't want to start up with him in a dark alley. You go with a wrestling match. And it's going to be a tzchayk. It's going to be a mockery. God has big muscles. He's defined by a muscle. The same is true when you say about God that he is great in spiritual terms. Shamayim has the same problem, the same inadequate definition of Eretz. You also have Shamayim. HaKadosh BaShamayim Ubaretz. And therefore, he's equally removed from both, and therefore he's equally close to both. One cannot say that Shamayim allows you to grasp the Rebbeinah Shalalem any more than Eretz allows you to grasp the Rebbeinah Shalalem. Now I have to say, this is, this is, these are ideas that are one of the great, I'm not going to say chidusha, but one of the great ideas that were emphasized in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tev and the students and in the whole system of the Balatanya. Because when he speaks about this mistake that people make, he's not just talking about a mistake that's made in India. He's talking about a very common conception, and that is that Hashem is found in Ruchnius much more than in Gashmius. Spirituality is much more conducive for the divine than physicality is conducive, right? That's, that's deep conventional wisdom. With, uh, and there's a reason for it, there's a certain justification for it. The Balatanya is negating it in length with elaboration because he's not just negating a foolish idea. He's exposing here a very genuine and profound idea, conventional wisdom that the soul is deeper than the body, that spirituality is, is higher, spirituality is higher than physical. What do we mean higher? I don't mean higher in space. You have to go up, you have to climb a taller, a taller ladder. Higher means it's, it's more reflective of its source. And that's true. That's why there is a mistake. Spirituality means something that speaks of its source in a more revealed way than physicality. That is true. That is the advantage of Ruchnis, of Agashmis, of the soul over the body. But the Balatanya says, don't think that the mitzvah in Machshava touches the divine more than the mitzvah in Maisa. Because since HaKadosh BaShamayim Obaretz, since Shava, Shamayim Heaven, is equal to earth, so therefore either both of them remain equally removed, or it also means the opposite, that when Hashem chooses to have a relationship, the relationship through earth can be equal to the relationship through heaven. Just like He's equally distant from both of them, therefore He's equally close to both of them. And you can't say that through heaven I grasp you, and through earth I don't grasp you, because this is too earthy, this is too remote. We say in Hallel, in the opening chapter of Hallel, Tehillim chapter 114, you remember what we say over there? Ram al kolgoyim Hashem, al hashamayim kvoidei. Mik Hashem alakeinu hamagbii lashavas, hamashpili lirois bashamayim ovaaretz. Literally, translation, Ramal Kolgayim Hashem, God is exalted above all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like God? Who? Hamagbi Lashavas. He is completely aloof. And when he sits down, he humbles himself to see heaven and earth. What is going on here in these verses? So the Balatanya says that these Psukim and Halal are capturing a philosophical debate. One view says, Ramal Kalgayim Hashem. Hashem is exalted. His glory is found in heaven. And in fact, it's humiliating to associate divinity with earthiness. The Jewish response is, No, Mik Hashem Alekeinu You don't understand. Hashem Alekeinu is transcendent even above heaven. And therefore, Hamashpili Lira is Bashamayim Abaritz, and therefore, he can humble himself to be part of heaven and earth in the identical fashion. Relegating God to heaven is equally insulting and idolatrous as relegating God to earth. Shamayim is just another description and filtered, restricted version of reality. Spirituality is just another way of making sense of reality and compressing it into finite terms, even if those terms are very impressive, very transcendent, very remote, and they sound very infinite. When you're talking about real Ein Saif, Hamagbil Shavas, he's infinitely transcendent from heaven as he is from earth, and therefore Hamashpili Liras Bashamayim of Aretz, and therefore earth is not further and more distant and more lowly than heaven. Earth can become the same dwelling place and the same carrier of truth than heaven. 
And in some ways, it's not the discussion now. In some place, in some ways, Eretz could sometimes even express infinity more than heaven. That's a separate subject. So therefore, don't make the mistake that the mitzvah in Misa somehow doesn't have that same infinite power or relationship like the mitzvah that's done with kavana, with my internal spiritual awareness, the mitzvah of machshavah. Says the Balatanya, and even though he gives life to all and he brings everyone into existence, give all the question. <laughs> You're telling me he's Kadesh Bashamayim Ubaritz. He's Kadesh Umuvdal. He's infinitely transcendent from heaven just like he is from earth, and from earth just like he is from heaven. But he gives life to everything and he gives existence to everything. If you're telling me that Hashem is infinitely transcendent above creation, the whole creation is his life force, it's his energy. He's not Kaddish and So the Balatanya says, true. It's true. But you have to remember that the Chayos are Ratzoy and Shoiv. And what this means is, this is a verse in Yecheskel, in the famous prophecy of Yecheskel, Ezekiel chapter 1, it says, Now literally it's talking about the Chayos HaKodesh, the angels, the holy animals, the Chayos HaKodesh, they're running and returning, they're swaying, they're, they're always moving around, you know, they're they're running and they're returning. But here the Balatanya gives us a deeper explanation. Vahachayis, you know what he says? Vahachayis is Hachayis is the chayis elakis. Vahachayis, the chius, the energy, the life force, the vitality that extends from Hashem to vivify and create and animate and bring into existence all of creation. This chius, hachayis, it's not just the chayis, the angels. The chayis is the chius, the vitality, the life force of every single organism and of every single existence and being in heaven and earth is always in a fluctuating state of ratzoy and shoiv. Ratzoy means yearning, running, like rots, heavy rots, ledvar mitzvah, right? Ratzoy, it comes from the word ratzoy, and it comes from the word rots. I'm rushing, I'm yearning, I'm, I'm trying to go somewhere. And what's shuv? Shuv is resolution, relaxation, returning. An expression in Sefer Yitzira, Im Ratz Libcha, Shuv La'achay, or Shuv La'echad, another version. If your heart is racing, come back. Shuv, come back. Ratzay is tension, and Shuv is resolution. Ratzay is the antithesis of relaxation. Ratzay is the yearning, the deep pining, the Tzama Lecha Nafshi, Kama Lecha Besari, I yearn for you. Nichsef Avagam Kolsa Nafshi, Lechatzres Beis Hashem. I, my soul yearns, it aspires, it's the aspiration of life, Ratzai, right? A healthy life is one of Ratzai. But if you're only in a state of Ratzai, what happens? You expire. There are people who are only in a state of Ratzai and there's complete discontentment because Ratzai is always challenging the status quo. Anybody of you have to deal with this? Do you know how to relax? Ratzai is, I don't know how to relax. There's always more and more and more and more and more. And you know what? It's the symptom of a healthy life. It means I'm not dead, I'm not lifeless. But on the other hand, if you have only Ratzai, what happens? If you have only Ratzai, so then you're always negating everything. So then this Shuv, Shuv is coming back, accepting what we would call relaxing. There's tension and there's resolution. A healthy life is always fluctuating between Ratzai and Shoiv. There is a Ratzai, which means I want to go away from where I am today. I am dissatisfied. I am discontent. I am moved by a greater vision. I want to be today what I was not yesterday and tomorrow what I'm not today. And then there is Shuv. But can I come back and embrace and accept and the moment we lack Ratzai and Shoiv, we're not fully alive. Because if you're only in a state of Ratzai, you expire, you can't be. There's always somewhere else to be. <laughs> so you can't be anywhere. You can't even be. Being is a problem. That's Ratzai. You know what real Ratzai is? Ratzai is a revolt against existence. It's a revolt against being. 
Jews suffer from this a lot, right? Jews suffer from this a lot. There's a lot of people do. So we often go to therapy for it. We take medicine for it. We take vitamins for it. It's like, why am I never content? Why can't I just relax? Somebody called me yesterday. Somebody I know very well. And they, were, and they told me that their children are asking them, why are you always busy? You don't have anything to do. <laughs> You're quarantined for months. Why are you always busy when you don't have anything to do? <laughs> Good question. So I told this person, so this person asked me, why am I always busy if I don't have anything to do? So I told this person, you're not busy because you have something to do. You're busy because for you, not being busy equals death. Your mind will create something urgent for you to do so that you should be busy. You're not busy because you have something to do. You have something to do because you're busy. You understand what I just said? You, some people are busy because they have something to do. Some people, they don't have what to do. They have something to do because they're busy. Your mind has to tell you that you're busy. And the reason is because you have to justify yourself. You have to validate your existence. And if you're not busy, so then why are you alive? So your mind will already come up with something urgent. You know what it is? Suddenly you'll see something on your bookcase or you'll see an album. Right now I have to organize this album because if I don't organize this album, you know what's going to happen, yeah? The pandemic, who knows what? There could be a third world war. The rioting could break out all over again because your album is not organized. So this becomes now the urgent call. Eat on a deeper level. Let's now go much deeper. On a deeper level, what is Ratsui? Ratsui is a protest against being. Being. Human being is a problem. I'm, I'm running away. How do I run away? This one runs away this way. This, runs, this one runs away this way. And the most beautiful way of running away is by doing new things, by dreaming up new dreams, by creating new companies, by being an entrepreneur in reality or in your imagination, by the ambition of growth. That's Rotze. But that's not, that's only one part of life. Because if, if we would operate only on a level of Rotze, you can't really be. Rotze is a protest against being. What's Shuv? Shuv is coming back. Shuv is accepting. Shuv is embracing. Shuv is celebrating what is. So the Balatanya says something very deep. You know where this all begins? It begins in the Chiyos of Hashem. Hashem is infinite. So the Chiyos of the Divine operates in flux. What's the flux? Rotsoy and Shaif. On one level, there's always a Rotsoy. The Chius wants to go back to its source, which means it doesn't want to be defined by being. But if the Chius would remain in a place of Ratzai, existence would cease to be, because the problem of existence is not the corruption of existence. That's problem number two. The problem of existence is existence. So the Chius wants to transcend existence, Ratzai. But if it would remain only in the realm of Ratzai, what would happen? Existence would cease. I told you, Ratzai is not just a protest against paralysis, smugness, laziness, and being a couch potato. Ratzai is a protest against being. So therefore, the Chius has to go the opposite direction. Shuv, can you go back? Can you relax? Can you accept? Can you celebrate what is? But if the Chius remains in Shuv, then it's not connected to its source anymore. Then it could become detached. So the Chiyas now goes back into a mode of Ratzai. And every Shuv produces a new Ratzai, a new frustration, and every Ratzai must produce a new Shuv, which then produces a deeper Ratzai. And the whole system of biology and spirituality and physics is based on the Chiyas Ratzai Vashayv. According to the Balatanya, the mystery of time, Time is one of the most mysterious elements of creation is rooted in Ratzai Vashayf. What is time? Oh, go define time. But one thing we know about time is there is a moment and a moment later that moment is gone forever. That's exactly the spiritual uh, manifestation of Ratzai Vashayf. The way it's concretized in our world is time. Constant flux, constant movement. There's no such a thing. Time stops and we just remain put. That's not part of existence. Time is a dimension, as Einstein taught, it's a dimension of matter, just like space. Chiyos, Ratzai 
you have it in your own heart. The heart is constantly expanding and contracting. And when it contracts, it becomes tight. It allows the blood to be pumped. It acts as that pump. And then there is the expansion. Rotsoi and shoif. It's the process of inhaling and exhaling. The Zoyer calls it tfiku deliba. The heartbeat is a reflection of Ratzin v'shoif. Our heartbeat is just a reflection of the heartbeat of creation. The heartbeat of creation restricts, it contracts, and it expands. And a healthy life is the life of flux. When you go into the hospital and you see the monitor and you look at the picture of the heart on the screen, the last thing you want to see is uniformity. No Ratzei V'shaev, because we know what that means. We know that there's no Chiyos anymore. When there's Chiyos, when there's a life force, it's Ratzei V'shaev. So you see how he's answering the question. The Balatanya said, how could you say HaKadosh B'Shamayim O'Baretz? He's infinitely removed from heaven as he is from earth because he's Kadosh. He's Kadosh and Muvdal, so heaven doesn't capture him. But he gives life to everything. He says, that's true. But the Chiyos is Ratzai and Shaiv. The Chiyos, because you're dealing with Kadosh Bashamayim Mubaretz, so the Chiyos can just come into the world and remain there in a state of Shuv. Rather, there is this yearning to go back up, to transcend itself. That is the protest of Ratsi against existence that we all have. And then on the other hand, it has to go back into Shuv and accept the reality and embrace the reality. And when you look at one versus the other and you pluck one out of the other, it could cause a form of insanity. You think you're Meshuggah, you're crazy. When you understand that life is a healthy dance of Ratsi and Shuv, then you could make peace with all aspects of your life. Now, sometimes people struggle with one aspect more than another, and they may need help. But the concept that there is the flux of Ratzai V'shoiv, this is essential to creation. Somebody asks here a question. Is this the idea of Ein Oid Malvadai, that there's nothing outside of Hashem and all is oneness? Well, this is connected to the fact, I mean, Ein Oid Malvadai is a very central theme, but this is the central idea that Eretz is not divorced from the Rebbeinu Shalolam. And Shamayim is the only place where you could capture him. This is a very central theme in the teachings of the Balatanya. Just like you're going to say that physicality doesn't capture him, spirituality doesn't bring you any closer. And that's, it's so fundamental to Judaism because as you know, a lot of the Far Eastern disciplines emphasize the spiritual experience over the physical experience. In fact, for them, enlightenment is really the removing yourself from a lot of physical sensation and physical experience as much as possible. You know, if you could melt away in nothingness, what you call nirvana, one and all, all in one, it's the, it's the, it's the, the peak the crescendo of, of the enlightened experience. Uh, being, existence, is always a compromise. And what the Balatanya is teaching us here is, when you look at Yiddishkeit, so much of Yiddishkeit is focused on, on the physical life. So many of the mitzvahs are focused on the physical life. He gave an example of money, but the same is true with every, so many other mitzvahs, whether it's tzitzis, or tefillin, or mezuzah, or Shabbos candles, or this week's parsha Chala, and Tzitzis also in this week's parsha. All of the halach is connected to physical life, physical family life, intimacy, the human body, etc. So this is not a compromise. It's understanding that I can't get closer to God through spirituality any more than through physicality. Because spirituality could be idolatry as much as physicality can be idolatry. Spirituality can be a distraction from truth as much as physicality can be a distraction from truth. This is a very revolutionary idea. Spirituality can take you away from MS as much as physicality can take you away from MS. Why? Because spirituality can also not, say, capture the truth of infinity, just as physicality can't. And when it could, and if it could then physicality could capture the same truth. 
and sometimes even in a deeper way because it's not conscious of it, so it's beyond consciousness. That's the power of the body. That's the power of the guf. So in that sense, hakadosh b'shamayim u'ba'aretz, because he's kadosh, so therefore shamayim and aretz become uh, become equal. So that's the connection to Enoid Mulvada in your question. Okay, so we ask a question, what about when we're sleeping? The answer, of course, is we breathe when we sleep too, and the heart doesn't go on vacation when you go to sleep. <laughs> the heart doesn't go on vacation, and your breathing doesn't go on vacation. The process of Ratsi and Shiv is also true when we're sleeping, and it's also reflected in your dreams, by the way. Next question. If mitzvahs need kavana, then it seems that we always need the spiritual aspect. There's no question that when mitzvahs are done with kavana, the mitzvah is fulfilled in a much higher way. The famous expression of the shalom, mitzvahs below kavana, kaguf below neshama. Mitzvahs without kavana are a body without a soul. But first of all, you may know that there's an argument in Gemara if mitzvah striches kavana or ain't striches kavana. Do mitzvahs need kavana or not need kavana? And the kavana that they're talking about there is not even this kavana. The kavana there is talking about if you have to have kavana to fulfill the mitzvah. According to many opinions, you don't even have to have kavana to fulfill the mitzvah. You can just do it without any intent. According to other opinions, you need intent that you want to fulfill the mitzvah. That's not even the mental spirituality and experience of the mitzvah. It's just kavana to want to fulfill the mitzvah. According to many of the halachic authorities, biblical mitzvahs need kavana, rabbinical mitzvahs don't need kavana. You have like Shema Yisrael, it says the first pasuk you have to concentrate, the first pasuk of Shema Yisrael, you have to concentrate on the words, li'kuv. The same is true the first blessing of Shema Nasser. But most of the mitzvahs, many of the mitzvahs, even mitzvahs of speech, if there is no kavana, in terms of med- a meditative experience, you still fulfill the mitzvah. There's no question that the ultimate performance of a mitzvah is when it's done with the combination of machshava and dibur and maisa. But the mitzvah, even if there is uh, enhancement through kavana, the mitzvah is maisa. If I meditate about shaking a lulav and I don't pick up the lulav, I didn't do the mitzvah, right? If I pick up the lulav even without any meditation, I did the mitzvah. I connected to God. Hashem, another question. Hashem is just as far or close to physicality as he is to spirituality. Perhaps this is the mistake of Buddhism. Yeah, that's very true. You said before about the answer of the Rebbe to Miriam Rhodes about Buddhism. Does this answer also apply to people who grew up with Torah and Mitzvahs, yet humanly failed to use each day to its fullest? Nice, nice. <laughs> Listen, my dear friend, if this can apply to people who were in Buddhism for many years, I think it can also apply to somebody who grew up with Torah and Mitzvahs, and yet, for many years, it was a meaningless or robotic or even painful experience, for sure. What's the question? People think that the concept of Baal Tshuva only applies to a Jew who grew up in a secular environment, alien to Judaism, they can do Tshuva, right? They say a story that it was a Jew who came to the Ger Rebbe, and the Ger Rebbe started to speak to him, the base, uh, the, the Leif Simcha, so somebody told me. He started to speak to him, and... Uh, you know, he was speaking to him like in this language that uh, he didn't feel you speak to, to what's called a Hamish Yid, a Jew who grew up with Judaism. So he says, Rebbe, Rebbe, Ich benishkem Balchuva. Rebbe, I'm not a Balchuva, you know, I'm not a Balchuva, I'm, I'm an FFB, I grew up with this. So the Gary Rebbe looked at him and said, Favos Takanisht. <laughs> Why aren't you a Balchuva? <laughs> Maybe you could become a Balchuva. <laughs> it would be a good thing. Uh, I once heard from, uh, who did I hear it from? From MBD, my friend Reb Mordechai, Reb Mordechai Ben David, Mordechai Ben David Werdiger. So his father was, uh, comes from a very Ger Hasidic family. So he, I heard from him once that the Ger Rebbe once said that uh, in the 1960s or the 70s, he said, a ruach of tshuva swept the world, uh, an, uh, an ambiance, a spirit of tshuva came into the world and he said, Chaval she'achilonim It's a pity that uh, it was abducted by the secular and not by the religious. He said, Chaval she'achilonim Shuva is not about where you were born. 
Tshuva is not about what type of hat you wear, and Tshuva is not about what type of a mitzvah you had. I grew up in a reform home, you grew up in a conservative home, you grew up in an orthodox home, you grew up in a litvish home, in a chassidic home, you grew up a satma chassid, a vision of chassid, a baba chassid, a yeshiva man, a modern orthodox, a chabatzke, a pope, whatever it is, a kloisenberger. Tshuva is an inner state of the soul. Tshuva is the awareness that we discover following error and trial and mistakes and failure. Tshuva is the new awareness that comes from years of being clueless, often not by anybody's fault. In other words, it was part of your journey where God put you. If you can go around this class right now, anybody who's here on the yeshiva.net or on Zoom or wherever you're joining us from on the telephone, and you go through their life, many of the experiences of the people in their life is completely not by their choice. Let's face it. Somebody was sharing with me the other day about their inability to have emotions, emotional experiences, how they had to detach from life in order to survive. And when you look at study their life and blame them, it's a very superficial way of looking at it. I call it Joseph Stalin's long hand or Adolf Hitler's long hand. There's intergenerational trauma that many of us are dealing with, that has nothing to do with our choices. Trust me. Mamash nandu with your choices. You grew up into a certain home, and your mother and father were dealing with intergenerational trauma for generations. You know whose choices these are? These are God's choices, not my choices, not your choices. And therefore, you have to have compassion. Avram Avinu looked at his life, and he didn't look at himself in disdain, look at what I did as a child. Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu, He understood it wasn't his choice to grow up by Terach. His choice is now how you're going to look at your past. Are you going to see it as an invitation for growth and transformation and awareness? Or are you going to see it as an excuse for victimhood and wallowing in self-pity? That's the key. Balchuva is the person who has the courage to be able to take all of his or her past experiences and say, Yagaita, I worked so hard. I made so many mistakes. Ah, umatsasa. That's why it says by Avramavinu. What does it say by Avramavinu? We say it every morning in Divrayamim from Divrayam. What do we say? I just realized, umatsasa eslavava namalafanacha. Reb Shleimer, that sound that you should have said. I don't mean Kala, I mean Weinstein. Next question. What's a good action for today? <laughs> so I think a very powerful action for today would be two things. Number one, to be able to appreciate that the physical activities of your day could be as divine as the spiritual activities of your day. What you do with your body and with the physical things in the world are as divine as the most spiritual experience of the day. Don't look at anything as tedious and irrelevant and boring and just uh, unfortunate necessity of your soul being in your body. It has the same divine significance, number one. And number two, it's looking at your past with compassion, a compassion allowing you to utilize it as a springboard for the future. Something that something that Avram Avinu was the first Jew. He wasn't. The yeshiva of Shema Nevi existed before him. Rivka went to them with a question. She didn't go to her father-in-law. Avram was the first one to spread Yiddishkeit. The preparation for a mitzvah is also a mitzvah. The preparation for tshuva is ironically a sin. So the past wasted days that were present, that were spent searching is no waste, but it fills the days with good as well, especially when the tshuva is done out of love. So the Talmud says that the past sins become mitzvah. So the bal tshuva can be much higher, much higher than the tzaddik. Okay, I'm just going to look if there are questions here. And we're going to take a break here. And tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning, there's going to be a shear because I want to try to uh, finish the mimer since it's Parsha Shlach. So I want you to be able to go into Shabbos with the mimer 
on Shlach, because he comes back to the story of the spies, and it's very, very important. So therefore, tomorrow morning we're going to have a shear. It wasn't planned initially, but uh, good things come by surprise. So 7.30 tomorrow morning, Bleeneded is going to be a class right here, and everybody is welcome. Please share it with your friends. Let me take the last question. If God can be found in the physical as well as the spiritual, why is it easier to connect to Hashem in the next world? It's a beautiful question. So that's why I emphasized, of course, that spirituality is conducive for awareness in a way that physicality is not. That is true. But the ultimate connection is not through the spiritual any more than the physical. And this will answer your question. And that is, you probably know that according to most commentators, the ultimate reward is not in the next world, but in this world. Not in Olam Haba, but in Olam Haza. And many people wonder about it. It seems like that this world is just a corridor. So that's on one perspective. But there is a much deeper perspective in which the physicality is an equal partner in the relationship and that through physicality you could connect as much as through spirituality. So therefore, in the ultimate equation of things, even though we say Ruchnius is higher than Gashmius and Olam Haba is higher than Olam Haza, the ultimate, ultimate purpose is going to happen in this world, not in the next world. Ganeidin is in the next world, Olam Haba. But Chiyas HaMesim, the ultimate schar, according to the Ramban and most of the Kabbalists, is in this world. Why? Why is that? Because ultimately, physicality is an equal instrument in your relationship with God as much as spirituality. I know not everybody is used to this idea. That's why the Alter Rebbe struggles with it. But this was one of the great ideas that are emphasized, not invented, but emphasized in the teachings of the Baal Shem Tev and the Balatanya. Last question. What is the process necessary? Not the last question. Second to the last question. What is the process necessary to take our failings and turn them into positivity when the natural way is to get down on yourself? Wow, good questions, Hevra. Good questions. The answer to that is, I think the most important quality is to be able to listen to the chatter in your mind that makes you get down. There is a voice that tells you you're a failure, you failed again, you're going to fail, you are a failure, you were a failure, you will be a failure. And when you hear that chatter, you have to counterbalance it with this. Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimlech Every time the voice says, I was a failure, I am a failure, I will be a failure, you have to respond very nicely and eloquently and with compassion. Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimlech, which means God was the king, God is the king, and God will be the king. That means I say I was a failure, I am a failure, and I will be a failure. That is a very narrow perception of my existence. It's a much deeper perception. Hashem Melech, Hashem Molech, Hashem Yimlech. God was, He is, and He will be. God was me in the past, in the present, and in the future. And therefore, at the end of the day, if God is in my failure, that means everything can be converted and transformed. So don't fight with this voice. It's there. It's part of it. It's going to be very normal, and it's going to come in. But just with compassion observe it, and then tune into a deeper voice, which tells you, and now let me learn from it. That's how you do it. Next question. When I was about 14, my good friend Norman took me to his Catholic church service. Towards the end, all the people bowed. I remember my friend turning his face and looking over at me. I did not bow. I inside knew a truth that it was not the right thing to do to bow at the Catholic church. I didn't feel like it's a good thing to do. I somehow knew, even through a very weak form of Reform Judaism that I was brought up with, that Hashem exists, and only Hashem exists, and I should not, I should not bow down. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. You and Mordechai. says, Mordechai, lo yichra v'lo yishtachave. Okay? Ratzai v'shuv also sounds like the weekdays and Shabbos. That's very beautiful. Ratzay and Shuv is the weekdays on Shabbos. That's, I think, a very beautiful observation. Okay. Maybe, here is another comment. Maybe when you look at the dark space you feel you're in because of mistakes you made, 
you should see it and trust that you were sent there to bring the light there. That is very, very beautifully said in the chat. In other words, when I'm experiencing that I'm in such a dark place, I could say two things. Number one, my life is dark and futile and I made horrible mistakes. And that may be true that I made bad mistakes. But I could say, Hashem Melech, Hashem Melech, Hashem Yimlech, this is my shlichus. My mission is to bring light into this place. And that changes everything. And that's our exercise for today, our second exercise for today. I love you all and I wish you a beautiful day. We shall resume Bezer Hashem tomorrow, Friday morning, 7.30 a.m. and continue the Mimer. Have a meaningful and inspiring day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.